thanks to our band. I want to read from Matthew chapter 16 and verses 21 through to 28. In Rosemary, over the past week, we've been having our Holy Week reflections in which we've looked at the suffering servant passages in the book of Isaiah. And this then is a follow-on from, from that, thinking about Jesus and his reflection on uh, his suffering and his, he predicts his death to his disciples because it's so important for them uh, to know about it and to learn about it. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. <clears throat> then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with, the, with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is God's word for us this evening. There are many battles that we fight every day of our lives, some maybe more important than others. I'm thinking about the battle for uh, physical health, for example, the battle that, well, I have, I don't know about you, battle for trying to eat properly. Whenever you see those wee things that cry out to you, chocolate, come and eat me, and it's very hard not to listen to them. And, or maybe even exercise that you're kind of thinking, oh, gosh, I need to do something, I need to get active. And, or maybe even just general care of ourselves to make sure that physically we're looking after ourselves. There's a battle to be fought there. Maybe even too for our mental health, particularly in this period of lockdown, whenever we're thinking about managing the stress that's in our lives or dealing with negativity that comes our way or maybe even in our own thoughts, trying to develop the right work-life balance or maybe even making sure that in whatever way we can, meeting up with family and friends, maintaining those contacts or, or maybe even discovering new things that keep us uh, on the right track. Or maybe even it's just survival, getting through the day, the battle for that, to get the, the jobs, the responsibilities done that need to be done, etc. Never mind the expectations that, that come our way. But there's always a battle there, isn't there? 
Matthew wants, in this passage, his readers to focus on Jesus and his mission. And as he records Jesus' words, it's Jesus' words, in those we discern that he has a mission to accomplish. And that engaging in that mission will involve a battle of epic proportions. Jesus knows the reality that he has got a battle in front of him of epic proportions. But he also goes on to tell us that we too, as a result of his battle, will be engaged in a battle of our own as we seek to follow him. Michael Green, in his commentary, points, out, points this out. He says, followers of Jesus must not forget that there is inevitably a, long, a lifelong battle to fight. They are called to follow their master in suffering, but are promised a share in his triumph. That's the reality. This battle, we've got to expect it. Got to be ready for it and know that it's coming as we follow Jesus in the way of suffering and even as we're then promised a share in his triumph. But it's in this passage in Matthew 16, verses 21 to 28, that we see the reality of this struggle. Jesus tells us about his struggle. There's a struggle for Peter in accepting what Jesus is saying. There's a battle to be faced for all of the followers of Jesus and even for us as we read through this. So that's why Jesus then wants to teach his disciples what he's about to teach them. And Jesus is now going to tell them his purpose in coming into the world. He has come into the world as part of God's plan to bring about our salvation. So the reality is that Jesus now has chosen to follow the way of the cross. He's not the victim of circumstances beyond his control. He's not the victim of the mob who crucify him or the leaders or any of that. He has chosen to follow the way of the cross. Jesus is actually challenging his disciples here because of their preconceived ideas as to what the Messiah was and what he was going to do. So he's challenging his disciples thinking that he has not come to destroy the Romans, that he's not going to come in power and, and liberate Israel. Rather, he will be the suffering servant that Isaiah spoke about. And the peace and the freedom that he would bring would not necessarily be the peace and freedom that they were expecting. It would come through the cross. So Jesus then teaches his disciples that he must, said, and, and the whole idea there is the, the emphasis of the necessity of what's happening, that he must go through these things. He must do this. He must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, in fact, Leon Morris in his commentary says that this means the highest court in the land will inflict suffering on him. That's the reality of, of the battle that was in front of Jesus. 
And in fact, he goes on to tell us that he will be killed. That's the outcome that he's expecting. But also then on the third day, he will be raised. God will raise him from the dead. And so we see here that this is the way of the cross for Jesus. Jesus' life plan is to do the will of the Father. That's how he saw success in his life, doing his Father's will. Because can I, can I take you back to John chapter 4 and verse 34, where, where Jesus says to us, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus' food the thing that nourishes him, the thing that keeps him going is to do the will of him who sent to accomplish his father's work. Any understanding of the Christian faith must have those central tenets in it that Jesus would go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and on the third day be raised again. Without them, our faith is like a house built in sand. I remember back to days whenever I was in Portrush CSSM team. And obviously being at the beach, there was a game that we had with the, the, the young people who were involved in SISM called Beat the Tide. And uh, the idea was that you, you, you drew a line and you had to then build your sandcastle or your whatever you wanted to build, something that looked good. Uh, and you built it all up. And then whoever's was kind of last standing was the winner kind of thing. But it was very obvious that very soon all of those structures, didn't matter how good they looked, all ended up flat whenever the sea came in. There was just no, no foundation. And so there, what Jesus is saying to us, that what he's saying to the disciples is that this is the foundation of what we believe. This is what we've got to know. This is what we've got to understand. This is what we've got to work through. Because you will notice as well, many of the disciples failed. They seemed to flee Jesus in his hour of need, thinking particularly of Peter. And I wonder, was their failure due to the fact that they didn't get exactly what Jesus was teaching them here? They didn't really understand who he was and what he came to do. And that's why they fled. And so therefore it's important for us to make sure that, that we allow Jesus to teach us what God is doing through him in these events that Jesus was teaching his disciples about. He, as the suffering servant, was the way that God was going to deal with our predicament. And he had to go through that. He must Go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed, and on the third day be raised. As we read through some of those passages in, in Isaiah with a suffering servant, and even the passages in, in the New Testament where we see about Jesus, and we're told there that it's by his wounds that we are healed. It was the Lord's will to crush him. This was the way of the cross. This was how God was demonstrating to every single one of us, whether we're in church here in Carmoney tonight or watching online, 
that he loves us. And he was prepared to go to this extent to show it, to demonstrate it, so that we could have life. The, the suffering servant that Jesus is speaking about here is our hope, is our life. And that's what we come to celebrate tonight as we think about the bread and the wine, the body broken and the blood shed. Elements that demonstrate that love for us. But as we go on into the story, Jesus has been pointing out what he has to do. And of course, impetuous Peter. As Jesus pours out his heart about what's to happen and the way of the cross and why it needed to happen and Peter, he is the solution. Peter steps up to take control of the situation. He was going to protect Jesus. Peter has just been commended by Jesus for his statement about who he was in the previous part of Matthew about the Messiah. Now something happens that Peter wants to tell Jesus about what's going to happen next and what the Messiah should do. Never, Lord. This will never happen to you. And what Jesus is outlining to Peter and the other disciples is different from Peter's agenda for the Messiah. The cross wasn't in Peter's agenda for the Messiah, nor for discipleship. Self-denial, suffering, taking up the cross, that wasn't what Peter had in mind. But surely Peter is being caring. He's being supportive. He's being protective to his master. He doesn't want Jesus to be experiencing this. He'd be failing in his duty if he, if he lets him get through with this. But do you see Jesus, how he reacts to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Peter is not the real problem here. Satan is. And Peter is his mouthpiece. And so Peter becomes a hindrance to Jesus in his ministry and in the way of the cross. Peter, your mind is distracted to earthly things. You're not thinking about the things of God. You're thinking in a completely human way. You're not thinking the way God thinks. You're not thinking what he's doing. You haven't mulled this over in your mind to think about what God's purpose is. Because if we see what's really happening here, we see, do you remember Satan in Matthew chapter 4? whenever Jesus goes into the wilderness and, and the devil tries to tempt him from carrying out the Father's will again, he fails. But the attack this time comes through one of Jesus' own disciples. Satan is trying to get Jesus to avoid the, wor the work and the way of the cross. A.B. Bruce points out 
in, in this sec, about this sex. He says, Jesus recognizes his old enemy in a new and more dangerous form. For none are, for, none are more formidable instruments of temptation than well-meaning friends who care more for our comfort than for our character. Peter represents the well-meaning friend who's not thinking about the way of the cross, who doesn't want to see suffering or doesn't want to see Jesus going through tough times and advises him accordingly. Peter hadn't really grappled with what Jesus had said. He was working on his own assumptions. He needed to see that the way of the cross was actually God's way. Without it, there would be no hope. Isn't there a danger for all of us to avoid the way of the cross? Even to avoid Jesus' cross. Not to be speaking about it, but to encourage people to, to think about the cross and to, to realize the love that God has for every single one of us and that it's demonstrated in that and that he is our hope. So that as we look to the example of Jesus, we're able to encourage each other in this way, the way of the cross. See why it was needed, why it happened, to challenge our own thoughts about our own comfort and protection, but following the way of the cross and following Jesus. Because then Jesus goes on to spell out for us the implications of the way of the cross for us as his disciples. And he does point out that there is a cost in following Jesus. That if we are to follow him, we are to take the way of the cross. He says, if you want to be my disciple, then you need to do basically three things. Deny yourself, which involves a choice, a decision, not something we just, that just happens This is about a decision to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. It's about a decision to act in line with his will and not mine. I think probably we tend to think of, you know, we, we hear that expression quite often of, you know, you, the cross you have to bear. And yet it's, it's more than that. In truth, we must die to our own way and commit to God's way, to, the, to his will, to the way of the cross. Jesus lived that out. As we think about the Garden of Gethsemane, whenever he was praying and he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Michael Wilkins, in his commentary on this passage, says this. The cross is for Jesus and those who follow him in discipleship, a metaphor of the Father's will for a disciple's life. So the cross 
is a metaphor of the Father's will for disciples' life. Jesus is referring to the death of a whole way of life that focuses on what I want instead seeking to embrace a life of love for Jesus, imitating him and following wherever he leads, to take on his priorities, to take the words that he says to us seriously and to live them out. And our discipleship is riding on it. He says we can't be his disciples if we don't. If you want to be my disciple, then you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But he also goes on to say, and it, it is in losing your life that you will find it. And what good is it if you gain the whole world and yet you lose your soul? There's a program on TV fairly recently. I can't remember whether it was something that I watched from that had been recorded or whatever, but it was it's a, Ben Fogel does a program where. Um, he, he looks into the lives of people who uh, have adopted a different lifestyle. And this, this week it was about a couple who, were, who lived in New Zealand. And their work involved them being in sort of like high offices. And, um, you know, they obviously had family, but they, they seemed to work together. And do you remember the earthquake that came to Christchurch in New Zealand? And they were caught in that. And he said that he was never, the, the guy, and both of them said they were never as frightened in all their lives. They were scared by it. Because at one point they were able to hold hands. And he said, actually, I felt I had one minute to live. And he said, that focused my mind on what I had been doing in my life and also then what I wanted to do if I ever survived this. And it led to a total lifestyle change. There's so much change for them, for, for them as a couple, for them as individuals, and for their family as well. They began to see things a bit more clearly for their lives as to what they thought was important and what was not important. You see, as a result of what Jesus has done in the way of the cross, doing God's will becomes the focus of our lives. Our satisfaction in life comes as we relate to Jesus and follow his priorities. And so therefore the acquiring of wealth takes its proper perspective because it can never provide the fulfillment that Jesus can. I love that section in Philippians chapter 3 whenever Paul says, I consider everything a loss or rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him to know him, to share his suffering, become like him in his death, to know the power of his resurrection and ultimately to share eternal life with him. Finding life is about finding Christ and living for him, doing his will and not concentrating on mine. And so then he goes on to say, the Son of Man will return to repay each person according to what he has done. I think Jesus is showing us some kind of accountability that we have to him here. 
And this is something which I suppose shapes our lives. Jesus is challenging us about the choices that we make to commit to his call to follow him, to commit to his will, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. Again, it's Michael Wilkins who suggests in his commentary, in other words, Jesus is saying to the 12 that they must weigh carefully whether or not they have truly taken up their cross because judgment is sooner than they think. That's the reality, isn't it? That's where we want to encourage each other. Tonight, let's encourage each other to take up Jesus' call, to follow the way of the cross, to deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow him. What a, what a witness on Good Friday, on the day of the cross. There are different suggestions put forward as to what some standing here will, will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming refers to. And there are all kinds of suggestions. Some suggest it's the transfiguration which happens in the next chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Some think it's the resurrection. Some think it's the coming of the Spirit or the spread of the kingdom in the early church or the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem or the temple and, and the second, or the second coming of Christ. I'm not sure. But I think Jesus is just telling us to make sure to be ready for it. He wants his followers to live the way of the cross in order to receive the reward that he wants to give to us and not miss out. This is the reality of why we're meeting tonight. Because Jesus took the way of the cross Peter thought maybe that's not the way forward. But Jesus told him it has to happen. It must. There is no option. In order for me to demonstrate my love for you, in order for you to be made right with me, in order for you to be my disciple, I need to do this. And then he challenges us in response to that. Love so amazing, so, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my everything. That the way of the cross for us is the way he wants us to go. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and for the encouragement that you give to us in it. For the challenge that we receive and yet for the love that we understand that you are demonstrating towards us as we think about these elements of our communion service tonight. As we think on this Good Friday of the demonstration of your love on the cross and how you took that willingly as it was your Father's will to crush you so that by your wounds we could be healed. Father, tonight we thank you. We're, we're full of gratitude for all that you've done on our behalf, that because of Christ, we're able to have a fresh new start with forgiveness and new life by your Spirit in him. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. At this point, uh, we're going to share together in our communion service. And uh, again, I would invite those who are online, if you want to get 
your piece of bread and your glass of fruit juice or whatever it is you're going to use, uh, you might be able to join with us now. And again, if we can be prepared with our little capsules to open those whenever the, the relevant point comes. So I want to invite everyone who knows and loves Jesus as Lord uh, to join with us as we share together in communion. And just before I do that, I want to pray because I think it's important for us as we think about these elements. These are just elements. We want to pray that the reality of the elements might come home to us as to what Jesus has done and how he has loved us and provided a new covenant for us in his blood. So let's pray together. Our God, we come and we remember the body broken. We realize that Christ has taken our punishment. We acknowledge too that through his blood we are able to be part of the new covenant and a new community with you. We praise you for the forgiveness of sin, the new life in and through Christ, and the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We are privileged to be part of your body. As we honor Jesus, we ask that you would enable us to discern the body and celebrate our unity in Christ. Enable us to see the reality behind these elements, because we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.